Tom came up to me and he said, we changed it to seven because of daylight savings time. Like, well, why didn't you speak up? Cat got his tongue, I guess. All right, so tonight um, we are going to be going through the first, really two-thirds of five. Um, the first two-thirds of chapter five. So, so, did I mention seven o'clock tomorrow night? We'll also be streaming it online. Uh, let's open with prayer and then we'll uh, take a look at the book. Heavenly Father, we come uh, this evening, and again, it is so good to be here and to be because of the chance to be together and the opportunity to open your word and to explore what you were communicating through Paul to the Ephesian church and also to us in our time today. And so we just come with open minds and open hearts, seeking to hear from you and to be filled by your spirit seeking to gather an understanding that allows us to live into uh, this thing called your body and to what it means to be a disciple of yours. And so we just pray that you'd be with our time tonight and this week as we look at this holy week and celebrating uh, all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, also, one other thing, if you do have one of the uh, Lenten booklets, I would love to get your feedback. Somebody did send me an email uh, the other day. Love to get your feedback on how some things that uh, worked, some things that didn't work, uh, so we can kind of, as I make it adaptations for the next one, we can work on that. So feel free to let me know what you thought. So last week we concluded with um, this phrase, uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And today I want to actually start at verse 21 because there, there's this theme that we've been talking about and developing uh, throughout the book of Ephesians that we're going to continue to develop. And in verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some of you, if, you, if you're reading the NIV, uh, in particular the 1984 NIV, this verse actually goes with the next section, uh, which we'll get into next week, why that might be the case. Um, but in the ESV, which we're reading, most of us are reading out of, it comes into this section. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says, therefore, going off of this, how we're treating one another, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there no, be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." 
Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he gives us, again, this therefore as this transitionary piece, as a result of the things that I just talked about, uh, he wants to get our attention or get the, the listener of the letter's attention. And he starts by talking about this comment of imitating God, that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. And you know, as we've been talking about uh, that sounded very Minnesotan. Uh, as we have been discussing, <laughs> Paul has made this transition in the latter half of Ephesians to, to the application or the living out of faith. What does it mean to actually live out a life as a disciple of Jesus Christ within a community of believers? And we so inappropriately take texts like this and we we want to individually apply them. And so by taking it out of context of the larger group, we misunderstand what uh, Paul is trying to communicate. Also, uh, as we've been talking about these lists and these differentiations of light and darkness, in Christ, out of Christ, uh, good and evil, and all these, these distinctions we'll notice there are some key distinctions about how saints or followers of Christ live and how those people of the world live. You'll also notice as we go through these lists that that there aren't real specific examples of things that we should or shouldn't do. There's larger categories of things that we should or shouldn't do, but it is not an exhaustive list of things to do or to not do. Well, part of that is what Derek was talking about uh, a number of weeks ago in living into a virtuous life, living into postures versus lists of activities. And we so often want to create these lists of activities to either abstain from or to participate in as if that is the standard of how we identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't do these things. We think of very specific things, and I definitely do other specific things. And Paul speaks in such broad strokes so as to not 
allow us to fall into that trap, and yet we find a great job of falling into that trap anyways. So when he says that we are to be imitators of God, we have to think, well, how does God act? And as we are in this holy week, we have this picture of who Jesus is and how Jesus lives his life on this earth. And so if we are to be imitators of God, well, our best picture is Jesus Christ. And so we are to do the things and behave in the ways that Jesus Christ behaved. And so this week, as we think about Jesus going to the cross, again, the cross, living a lifestyle that embraces the cross is not a great selling point. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, we were going to do this trip, and a bunch of my friends did this trip, and it was like, okay, we're going to spend six days, like, trekking through the wilderness. Uh, If you want to ski downhill, you have to go uphill. We're going to camp in the wilderness. How are you going to get water? Well, you're going to melt snow, and you're going to eat dehydrated food, and three guys in a a two-and-a-half-man tent, and, and all of these things. And everyone's like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, nothing about that sounds appealing. <laughs> well, the scenery is amazing, and there's not that many people out there, uh, and that's part of it. But, but to say, to follow after Jesus Christ is to live a life of pain and suffering and crucifying oneself every day, <laughs> submitting to what God calls us to, Ah, can we just talk about like all the good stuff I get and not talk about the challenges that I get? Because we see Jesus living over and over and over and over and over again in a posture of humility and submission. Paul talks about that in the letter to the the Philippian church, about how Jesus embodies humility and submission, gentleness and patience, which we talked about back in chapter 4. That when Jesus comes, he says, I did not come to serve, or to be served, but to serve. When Jesus has the the Last Supper and he washes the disciples' feet, they're like, whoa, 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 this is all out of whack. Because Jesus came to wash feet, not to have his feet washed. Jesus came not to condemn people, or as John just talked about on Sunday in John's Gospel, not to judge, but to provide deliverance. And so for us to be imitators of God or Jesus, it's to live in a way that is exactly the opposite of how the world lives. Not seeking our own advantage, not seeking our own position, not seeking our own authority, not seeking our own power and influence, but actually doing the opposite. Jesus goes... And rather than condemning the woman who's caught in adultery, he gets down into the dirt and risks his own life. Jesus goes to all of these marginalized groups. When he invites the children in Mark 10 to come to him so that he may bless them, he is taking on this posture that is so counterintuitive to what it means to live in the world. Even as we look tomorrow night at Jesus appearing before Caiaphas, And uh, before Pilate, 
he does the opposite of what the world would have us do. And so when we think about what does it mean to imitate God, to imitate Jesus Christ, well, Paul says in the previous verse, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And he follows it up with this larger expansion of to imitate God. And oftentimes, we, we somehow disconnect that. To be a disciple is to be an imitator of God. Who did Jesus associate with? How did Jesus view himself? You know, we, think, we can often think of the, the old Simon Says game. You know, Simon says do this, Simon says do that. Except the problem with that is then we're all doing the same actions. And I think as Bonhoeffer does such a brilliant job in his book on ethics, we, we want to say, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? And Bonhoeffer's whole thing is not what is right or what is wrong, but what is the will of God for my life in the position that I find myself. So as I was out with my friends... Uh, the other week, uh, my one friend, his daughter, she's like f- almost four, and so she's trying to learn how to ski. She lives in Hawaii, and so skiing isn't a big thing in Hawaii, as you probably can imagine. Uh, and so she was just really struggling, and, and then here comes the Savior, I mean, Uncle Steve, uh, and we're like, Dovey, just follow Uncle Steve. Just do what Uncle Steve does. And so after Two days of her parents ripping their hair out and saying, why are we even doing this? She's like, okay. So she just follows Uncle Steve. So Uncle Steve goes this way, and she goes this way, and Uncle Steve goes that way, and she goes that way. And you're like, voila. Why was this so hard? (laughs) Just do what Uncle Steve is doing. And that's what Paul is calling the Ephesian church to do. Go where you see God is going and do what God is doing. Exactly what God is doing. And then he follows it up with this add-on, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, to... To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to embody the life of Christ. To give up one's self, to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, to love as Christ loved. Tonight I I made some shrimp and grits for, for dinner, and I always add a little bit too much spice. And as we're driving here, Nikki says, we smell like shrimp and grits. <laughs> to which I was like, well, I smell like that. You just put on perfume. You smell wonderful. And I smell delicious. <laughs> so I think we're both winning. Do we ever think about the odor that is emanating from our body? <laughs> Not from our body, but from our body, from our body of believers, from the the body of Christ in the world. 
this fragrant offering. Sometimes we smell, we smell a variety of ways. And sometimes it's overpowering, and sometimes it's repulsive, and other times it is sweet. And this Old Testament imagery of this fragrant offering sacrifice going up to God. This is what it means to be a body of believers living into the call of Jesus Christ in our lives. So that when people encounter us, we don't necessarily have to say anything. They're like, you smelled wonderful. It's Jesus, you know. It's that Jesus scent. Smells a lot like blood and death and resurrection. Far too often, though, we miss out on that, and the fragrance that we extend to the world isn't exactly pleasing. But to walk in love, this again, this imagery of moving forward in a posture and a position that is love. As DC Talk told us, love is in fact a verb. Then he gives us this contrast. But, which means this, this clear distinction, sexual immorality and all impurity or covenant, covetousness must not be named among you, plural you, as is proper among saints. And I know we so often we, we see these vague categories and we, wanna, we want to fill in the blanks. We want to say, well, what he means by, by sexual immorality is all the things that we don't struggle with. <laughs> you ever notice that? Because if we miss it, covetousness is right there in the mix. So we love to think about all of these sexual sins that we don't struggle with and talk about, well, when he means impurity, he actually means this. Well, impurity is such a broad spectrum, such a broad category that, that encompasses anything that taints the body. And he's going to repeat this in five. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So again here, what Paul is trying to get us to understand and trying to get the Ephesian church to lock in on is to embrace a posture of these categories of living is idolatry. It is placing ourselves and our desires in front of God. That is what idolatry is. Anything that we place ahead of God is the idol, which in this case is our desires, what we want, and what we look to gain from other people in the world. All of these are a skewed vision of how a body should function together. And as we dive deeper into the minutiae of these Greek terms, it's all about relationality. And it's what we've been talking about throughout the book of Ephesians is 
you know, when we talk about sexual immorality, it's me seeking to gain what I desire out of somebody else or out of an engagement with somebody else. It's me putting myself in position of power and authority to get what I want from somebody else. That's what all of these things are about. That's why I wanted to start with this concept of submitting to one another. Because when we hold this posture, these things don't come into play. And when these things come into play, it's a key indicator of how we are viewing ourselves. Notice I skipped over four. Because I don't really want to talk about that. (laughs) That's what we do, right? When we come to a verse that we struggle with, we're like, yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about something. We don't have time to talk about that. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place. I mean, come on. Again, this way of living that, that we want to say, well, what is it? What does it look like? We want to fill in the blank and we'll say, well, these are the words that shall not be mentioned. These are the types of things that we shall not joke about. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't joke about my list of things that we shouldn't joke about, which oftentimes becomes a passed down cultural thing. Because language is embodied in culture, and culture defines what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. And Paul isn't concerned with lists of words or types of jokes. Because what he is concerned about is how the body is functioning and acknowledging that to live into Christ and to live embracing who Jesus is in our lives is to live where our speech is uplifting. It's not degrading. Now, I know, we want to say, okay, so could I get a couple exceptions here? (laughs) Excuse me, there's like a few things that I would like to add to this list that somehow relinquishes my responsibility as if I get a free pass on this. I just default back to if I think in my own heart that what I'm saying is crude or offensive, then I probably shouldn't say that. Or, again, because we're talking about this within the body, if I say something and somebody confronts me and says, "Mm, what you said, that was kind of crude or offensive, then I need to hear that and I need to receive that and I need to wrestle in my own soul with that to say, if that was offensive to my brother or sister in Christ, then, then I should think about how my speech either inhibits or enhances the unity within the body, which is what we're going for. You're like, so no R-rated movies? I don't, I'm not going to say that. Paul has no concept of a movie. So how would, thou shalt not watch R-rated movies. It's not in the Bible. So I, I, 
You're like, okay, I'll just watch PG movies from the 80s and 90s because we all know that they would be R today. So it's just such an arbitrary thing. It's like we get so bound up in the weeds rather than saying, how do we live flourishing in the body of Christ? Because every, every action that we put off, we need to put on something, as we talked about last week, putting on Christ. Anybody get a new sweatshirt this week? You did. Last week was probably the best Wednesday night ever. It got deleted. It got deleted. <laughs> okay. He, said, he goes on, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Empty words being the words that we just talked about. He says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, here, as we talked about last week, who we surround ourselves with and who we participate and do life with has a massive impact on who we are and how we live into this flourishing of the body and flourishing of uh, the kingdom of God in our own lives. And this, verse 7, isn't just this concept of partnership. It's about participation in. So he's challenging the Ephesian church to not participate in the activities of their old self. So do not engage in participating in the things of the dark realm is really the imagery that he is talking about. Now that we have stepped out of this darkness and into the light, he's encouraging us to not to participate with those who are involved in the darkness from which we have been freed from. And there, become, there becomes these questions of, well then, how am I to witness to those people? How am I to share Christ with those people? Well, if you've ever been in a cave and you've desired to get out of said cave, because caves can be terrifying, you walk towards the light. <laughs> the light is not inside the cave. The light is actually outside of the cave. Likewise, as I was talking about this the other day with some people, I was on a run. Uh, this was back when we were in Poland. Uh, on a mission trip, like, forever ago. I don't even know years anymore. It's like 11 years ago. Um, and, and I'm running, and I'm like, I smell a bakery. <laughs> and I'm like, I know there's a baker around here someplace. Where is it? I can't read Polish. There are no real signs, and I see people going in and out. 
Aha, there it is. So I go in and I'm like, ah, which is Polish for, ah. I didn't need to see the sign. I smelled it and I was drawn to it. Likewise, the people that are in the darkness, they don't need the light to come into where they are. They can see the light and they are drawn out of the darkness towards the light. Somehow we convince ourselves that we can go back into the darkness and not be sullied by the darkness. And Paul is saying, no, don't even participate in those things because now you are in the light. He says, for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret, in darkness. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Again, this imagery of living is walking, not as wise, but as unwise. If we, the body, are producing the fragrance of Christ, it draws people in to where we are. If we produce the light that we are called to produce by living into Christ, the darkness, those that are stuck in darkness, they are attracted to the light. It's like, you know, all of the bad bug movies, like, go to the light, right? But so often, we convince ourselves that we need to take our spotlights into the dark places. And I think of it a little bit like this. Uh, for some of us, we, we just absolutely love a sunrise. I mean, it's hard to beat a, an amazing quality sunrise. Can I get an amen? Amen. And what is the joy of the sunrise is you sit in the darkness and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, oh, oh, hey, there you are. And the light just starts to invade all of the earth. And then the sun starts to come up and you're just like, ah, yes, I've been waiting for you. Then there's folks that, that live by the motto of, I sleep in a black hole and don't even begin to show me light until at least, you know, 9 o'clock. And you love to walk into that dark room and, and flip on the light. Wake up! And what do those people do? First of all, they yell at you, foolish talk, and then they cover their heads up. Like, I'm not interested in what you're selling. Because in my world... It's still dark. But for so often we think we have to take the gospel and, and we go to our, our friends or our neighbors who are stuck and, and living in darkness and we just like flip on the floodlights and be like, you're evil, you're in darkness, don't you enjoy the light? And they're like, no, actually I don't at all. But the sunrise and this wave of light before they even realize it, it's like, hey, hey, this is nice. I like this. My, you smell nice. 
And Paul is giving this imagery of, of not this call to take our spotlights into the dark recesses of the world and to condemn people where they're at for their darkness, but to exude light into the darkness and draw people towards who Christ is. To draw people out into this place called light where everything is exposed and we are able to live into the flourishing of the body, making the best use of our time. Making the best use of our time, which, which is this fascinating thing that we often don't think about because we live in this world of, you know, well, except for the last few years, ever-expanding life expectancy. So for us, we, we have so much time on our hands that we have this phrase, we're like, oh, I'm just killing time, just wasting some time, which, I hate to say it, isn't exactly a biblical concept. <laughs> Paul calls us to make use of all the time that we have making the best use of the time, which, you know, in this pendulum swing that I love to just live over into, it's like, well, that means I just got to work as many hours of the day as I can. And on the Sabbath, I got to work. Well, I technically do have to work. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't have another Sabbath on a different day. And we love to embody and embrace work. And we say, well, I'm making the best use of my time, except Sometimes the best use of our time is to actually do nothing, and it's not that we're wasting time, but we're embracing this Sabbath rest. But that's a different conversation for a different time. Making the best use of our time because the days are evil. If we saw the finitude that we have on this earth, then we would make the most of the time that we have. He says, therefore, because of this, because of our time being short, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord? We've been talking about this throughout. What is the will of the Lord for our lives? To live into this thing called the body of Christ, to be imitators of God. What is the will of the Lord? To be an imitator of God. What is the will of the Lord? To forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. What is the will of the Lord? To live with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. What is the will of the Lord? To be unified and to be one with each other. Well, that seems abstract, you are correct, and yet it is so concrete. When we measure our decisions based on how it affects the body, how it affects all of these things that we just discussed, that is discerning what the will of the Lord is for our lives. And that's why living in a community where we can discuss these things with one another about how is it that I live this out? Do you think that, that this is something that God desires for my life? And then we can talk about these things. And then he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now again, we often look at the front half of this verse, especially us solid, dyed-in-the-wool Baptists. (laughs) It's okay, we can laugh about our heritage and acknowledge that we just stop reading verses because we're like, yeah, that's good for me. The Pentecostals are like, we'll just skip the first part of the verse and we'll read the second part of the verse. And that's good for them. And we're all the body of Christ. We all just want to read the Bible in its wholeness. Paul gives us this declaration and oftentimes we so misinterpret it because we don't understand what he is trying to say to us. This is not Paul's polemic against the consumption of alcohol. Paul's concern is how we are living and what or who is controlling us. And so his concern is more for the filling of the Spirit than it is for the consumption of alcohol. Because we are all vessels. And a vessel only has a finite amount of holding that it can do. I mean, you can't fill your cup more than your cup can hold. So if we fill our cup, our lives, with the things of the world, oftentimes we see it more like, you know, a McDonald's latte where there's like a tenth of foam. You're like, this is not a latte. This is like a milky coffee with a touch of foam. We just, a little bit of spirit on top. When in reality, we're like, we should just be all foam, which is really hard to do and really hard to drink if you've ever tried to do that. To be filled with the Spirit isn't a one-time deal. It isn't a finite thing. It, the, the language that Paul is using is to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Because once we are filled with the Spirit... We live out the Spirit in our lives, and then the Spirit fills us up again. It's like this constant refreshment of the Spirit in our lives. But so often, again, we get get consumed with, with the first half of the don't do, and we miss out on the most important part. And what Paul doesn't want us to do is to be controlled by the things of the world to be intoxicated by worldly things. He wants us to be driven and intoxicated with the things of God. Do we see how, how that imagery, when we read it within the totality of the book or this letter to the Ephesian church, how it makes so much more sense? That, that Paul is talking in such grandiose terms that when we lift verses out of their context, we do the Bible a disservice. And I would go as far to say that we take the Lord's word in vain when we do that, when we misquote Scripture and when we don't live into the fullness of what Paul or the writers of the Bible are trying to communicate. Because it's not just enough to abstain, we must replenish with the Spirit. And I know, I know. We've talked about this, we'll just keep talking about it. The fullness of the Spirit in our lives is not something that, that the Pentecostals you know, hold the corner on the market 
The assemblies of God, they don't hold the corner on the market. To be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we have to speak in tongues. It doesn't mean we have to say amen, but you can if you want to. It's perfectly permissible. doesn't mean that we have to raise our hands, but maybe we should try it a few more times. It means that our lives are driven by the Spirit and that we live through the Spirit and not through the things of this world. Because this next part, we're just like, yeah, you okay, I'll, let's just stop at the filled of the Spirit thing. Because this next part is like, eeh. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And all the singers said, hard pass. Non-singers. We're like, wait, so we're supposed to really like sing to each other? Says it in the Bible. Earlier, Nikki, as she was getting ready, was singing, reading, reading Rainbow. So then we were singing in unison, reading Rainbow to Maddie. She wasn't really having it. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that we are to communicate edification towards one another through the things of God. It's not that we... We're living in this grand musical, which would be interesting for some of us. But that we are making melody together as a body to the Lord. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, when we see the the totality of what Paul is trying to communicate through this letter to the Ephesians is if we are to be a fragrance to the world, if we are to be a light to the darkness, then we can't be Eeyore. <laughs> like, we can't be Pigpen, like just walking around with, you know, this cloud over us. And so often we, we buy into this myth that, you know, we got got to be... Solemn, we gotta be serious. We gotta be like, mmm, yep. One of my favorite things on a Sunday morning is I see somebody that walks in and I'm like, they've probably never been here before, and they get a cup of coffee and they're like trying to drink the coffee as fast as they can because it's burning their mouth. They're like, I haven't had my coffee today. And I'm like, it's okay. You can take it in there. What? (laughs) What did you just say? I can take this in there? Yeah. But what if I spill? I guess we'll wash the carpet. Oh, my word. Yes. I haven't even been here for five minutes, but I love this place. I mean, when we talk about worshiping, serving, celebrating together, jazz hands and all. But so often we live as this like Eeyore, like, oh, got my cross, drudgery. Now, this is not, I mean, again, we have to understand the Bible in all of its context. And I'm, this is not like we're just all fake, happy, you know, cheerleaders all the time. Because the Bible is full of lament and all these things, which I'm not, this is, We're just dealing with this text right now, and Paul is calling this body to give thanks. How often? 
always. For what? For everything. Give thanks always for everything. This totality of living into the joy and celebration of what it means to be free in Jesus Christ. Well, I thought we were talking about the fact that we have to die to ourselves and live as Christ lived. Yes, and that is good news, and that is joy, and that is celebration, and we can live and give thanks. And people are like, what is wrong with you? You are unlike anyone else. And then the door swings open, and we have this opportunity to share what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And we don't have to go in with our spotlight into the dark cave and start blinding people. That's not real attractive. And that's not what Paul is calling us to do. And then he says, in this, in this spirit of thanksgiving and celebration, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How often do we think about giving thanks and celebrating, submitting to one another? (laughs) Probably never. Because, again, this concept of submitting to one another is is an otherworldly concept. To submit to one another is so counterintuitive to the human experience. Because we don't appreciate placing ourselves under someone else. And we're going to spend some, a lot of time next week talking about it. We're not talking about subjugating, we're talking about submission. And we're going to try and help reorient this word submission and how we define submission in a biblical way and how we understand what it means to submit to one another. Because that is what Paul is saying. He's saying submit to one another. Why are we submitting to one another? Out of reverence for Christ. Our submission to one another is out of worship and reverence for Christ. Our submission to one another is an act of worship, living into the unity of the body. Our submission to one another is what it means to imitate God. And as I said, we'll have all next week to talk about it. Might want to bring some milk because it's probably going to get a little spicy. You can go to your groups. <laughs> 